What's the game-changing realization that helped you build a high-performing team? That question is at the center of every episode of the HR Impact Show. Every HR professional wants to build a team that has empowered managers, engaged employees, and an organization that's striving to become elite. The challenge is that you're often told to do more with less. We're gonna fix that. Every week, we will feature executive and senior HR leaders from across the country, and they will share with us their actionable insights and best practices that can help empower you to create an engaged elite workforce. Here's the show. Thanks for joining us today on the HR Impact Show. I am your friendly neighborhood talent strategy nerd, Dr. Jim. If you're looking at building an elite and high performance organization, you will be well served by leveraging skip level meetings as the way to build a career development and coaching culture. That's what Nicola Kennedy has to say. She's the current chief people officer at the American College of Cardiology. That's an association focused on transforming cardiovascular care and improving heart health. She's been in the organization for almost 17 years and has played a key role in the growth of the organization. Now, further back in her career, she's a reformed accountant. She has a master's in human resources development from Bowie State, and she's also got an MBA from the University of Maryland. Nicole, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jim. It's glad to be here today. It's happy to be able to speak about my passion helping people. You're the first people leader from an association that we've had on. So that's going to add an interesting layer into the conversation. I know that we mentioned a few things about your background and, and history. I'd like you to flush that out for the listeners and add anything else that you feel is important for the listeners to understand and know about your background that's going to add texture to this conversation we're about to have. I am a reformed accountant, but I use my accounting skills every day because HR professionals, not just about processing. We also need to be thinkers. We need to be analytical. We need to be details. So actually knowing the numbers is my superpower because I am that HR professional that can talk the talk with the finance team. And then one little correction about my bio, I am working on my MBA at the University of Maryland, not completely finished yet, but almost there. And I went back to school for that just because I had not had a lot of business classes since I graduated undergrad. So I wanted to focus on taking some of those marketing, some of those finance classes again to enhance my career as I had moved into the C-suite. Part of my background, too, that people don't see on my resume is that I'm involved in a lot of organizations outside of ACC or my professional career that allows me to build on my leadership skills. So I've been president of my local chapter sorority. I've been able to be a programs chairman where I plan events. Actually, last year in 22, I planned a, a regional conference for over 6,000 attendees. So that was a great accomplishment for me to be able to use my skill set a little differently to be able to show that I could come in and do multiple things. Even in that bit of context, there's something that I'm curious about. Now you're pursuing your MBA and you mentioned that you wanted to shore up the business side of your knowledge and skill set. Why is that important for HR leaders to build that side of their business? I would have just automatically assumed with your accounting background, you would have, you would have already had that back, baked in. HR professionals, we're now a seat at the table, right? We're now at that executive table and we want to be able to be a part of all types of conversations. But for me, I sit at the senior management team on my in my organization and my team is talking about all things from finance, business development, marketing, legal. And I just wanted to be able 
bit more versed into having a participant in the conversation. Yes, accounting was a lot of accounting classes. You had one economics class, you had a marketing class, but honestly, in undergrad, I was like, let me just get through. I'm just trying to graduate. And, and really, a lot of my focus was on the accounting classes. I was like, when am I going to use that economics class? When am I going to use that marketing class? But I realized where my shortfalls were, and I said, I need to go back and freshen up on these things and really be able to be tangible in the conversations that we're having. My CEO thought I was already accomplishing a lot, but I was like, I am still a lifelong learner. There's more that I can learn, so let me do this. So it looks like you're gonna be collecting degrees like I am. It's not the worst thing in the world to be a nerd. I'm gonna collect some certificates and no more degrees. You've been at the American College of Cardiology for almost 19 years. If you had to pin down the accomplishment that you're most proud of during your time there, what would that be? It will probably be that I have evolved HR with the team to be more business partners. We are taking not the HR that we process and we just do your benefits, we just do your payroll, but we are actually forming and partnering with our leaders across the organization to talk about our talent, how we develop our talent, how we engage our talent, and how do we find paths for our talent to move forward with the organization and our goals and missions that we have. So that's my proudest accomplishment is that in this role itself right now, I've stepped in 2018 to be able to evolve our team to really be partners in the organization as opposed to processing forms. I like how you mentioned uh, that particular accomplishment. What I'm curious about, is there a right time to make that pivot? If you had to do it over again, when would you have started that transformation from being an admin-oriented group to more of a strategic-oriented group? You also have to have the right CEO in place. You have to have the right CEO who's accepting that the role of HR is changing, that really values what HR brings to the organization. And, and that is what I have currently as the, the right CEO who's all about people. She is a people person. She used to be the chief people officer of the organization, and she has many years of experience at the American College of Cardiology. But I would say right now, for anyone following behind, you have to have that relationship with the person at the top to make sure they value what HR brings to the table in support of, of the transition you make. That's a good distinction because it's a trap that a lot of leaders might fall into is that you have your own initiatives that you want to drive, but if you don't have buy-in from the most senior layers of the organization, it's going to stall out at some level because uh, yes. you don't have the organizational support. So that's a good distinction that uh, I love how you call that out. You've, you've started this process or you're well on the way of, of transforming HR to a people-focused strategic organization. When you think about 2024 and down the road, what are the moon initiatives that you have on your radar that you want to check off next? So our next thing is going to be really focused on, and, and it's similar for this year, we set some goals to metrics that matter, right? Because metrics tells your story. We're learning that storytelling is how you get your, your point across. So we have to tell our story through metrics. What does it look like for us as an organization? What does our people look like? And using those metrics also to talk about our people development. So that is a big focus for us going forward. Do we know who we have in the organization? Because you hire somebody to do job A, but you as an organization evolve. So where do you know the talent you have in the organization? So one of the key initiatives we're kicking off this year, which will follow into next year, is that we are doing something called universal profile so that every employee will update their universal profile on our system. So if I'm looking for a BA across the organization, 
you may not be in that job, but you may have the experience or had a job previously at another organization. So we're trying to really assess our talent to make sure our talent is moving forward with us as an organization. That's an interesting initiative. It sounds like the emphasis is going to be more on people development and career progression versus talent acquisition. Am I understanding that correctly? It's going to be a combination. Looking at the skills that we need, we may have to hire some outside, but we may have some inside. I want people to not forget about the talent that you have within your organization. We forget about those talents and start looking outside before we say, we have some talent inside the organization. Can we invest in them? Can we help them to develop some skills? Because they may be really willing and want to. It may be somebody pigeonhole in a position that says, I have these skills. How do I get out of there? And I want to be able to say, this is our playing field. Here's the people we have hey, there's an opening, let's tap that person for this position, opposed to always looking externally for things. I'm definitely going to come back to this when we get into that development and coaching conversation that we're planning on having a little bit later on. So last thing, what's the most fun aspect about the job that you're in? I get to learn about so many people every day. I love it. In my shop, I have people resources, which is which is typical in HR, but they do all of the business development, the people operations. They do the business partner aspects. Then I have people development and culture. And then I have people safety, which is our team that oversees the building. But what I love and the fun part about my day is that we get to plan so much about a person from the time they start at ACC to the time they leave. So not only do I get to know the person, by the time they leave the organization, I will probably know a lot about them and and know their family, know who they are as a person. And so I think that's the great aspect that I love about my job. And that's why I'm a performer accountant, because accountants only looked at numbers. And I knew after a few years, I couldn't do that for the rest of my life. I needed to be able to talk to people and help people. I like the emphasis you put on getting to know people from an employee lifecycle perspective. I think that's important in, in, in mapping out that journey. But I want to tie it back to that development mindset that you mentioned in, earlier in the conversation. I want to bring those two together through an accounting lens, because what I'm getting so far in this conversation is that it seems that you're putting more emphasis in keeping the people that you have and developing them throughout. Why is that important? compared to a talent attraction heavy approach to your talent strategy? Because we, it takes a while to get somebody acclimated in the organization, right? To get them in, to get them up. You spend a lot of money trying to get somebody on board and training. And I'm not to say that's not the only way to do it. And we've done that. We have been heavy talent acquisition, but I think we lose in in HR professionals. If we don't focus on the talent we have, there's going to be some talent that you're just going to be like, I can't do anything else with that person. There's no further this person can go. I'm not going to be able to help them maybe for certain different circumstances, but we do need to invest in the talent. If we keep saying that people are our greatest assets, why are we quickly ready to not invest in them? And that's why I think that it's really about knowing your talent and focusing on them and developing them in all stages of their career. And I think that helps with the career development and the career progression for them, right? Because it's just a two-way street. If they're willing and we're willing, we're going to have a win out of that because we have helped somebody get somewhere. And guess what? They may be the perfect person for that role we were looking for. I like that emphasis on that development over that life cycle piece because it's cheaper to keep the people that you have. And the reality of it is for those CEOs that still don't connect the dots, 
for every person that you lose off of your organization, that's a voluntary turnover that you have. You're going to spend up to 250% of their first year salary in trying yep. to replace them. So yep. it, it, it makes a lot of business sense to just focus in on that. But remember, okay. not every person is a valuable person to keep, right? Because some people, right. you are going to get some bad actors along the way that you just need to know when to cut it and when to say it's time to cut ties. I opened the show by saying that if you're looking at building an elite organization, you need to leverage your skip level meetings as yes. part of that career development and coaching culture that you're looking to build. What's that got to do with the game changers that really helped you build elite teams throughout your career? I, I make sure my leaders underneath me know I am going to do this because I want to know everyone on our team. I want to know how you're working with them. And I don't do it through an, I don't do it through paper. I don't do it through just surveys. I do face-to-face or now we then WebEx and conference calls. But I do it where I want to be able to look at the person. I want to be able to understand what they're telling me or what they're not telling me. And I use these as to get to know what do you like and what do you don't like about your job? Because it helps me to understand what excites them and what part that I may be able to use as a development for them right? Or how to be able to coach them differently or help their manager to coach them differently. Wow. It's been a great conversation so far. Make sure you join the HR Impact community where we gather a community of HR leaders just like you. This is a space where top people leaders share actionable insights and practical playbooks. Sign up today as a member for the community, get updates on the latest HR resources and exclusive event invites. You can join the community at www.engagerocket.co slash HR impact. And now back to the show. There's an aspect of what you just mentioned that triggered something in my head. One of the common issues that we hear from people leaders all the time, and this is at the strategic level. Hey, our mission, vision, values, all that stuff is great. Our executive leadership and our senior leaders do a good job of walking the talk. But where we have problems is at the manager level and at the individual contributor level, where oftentimes our individual contributors are saying, I don't really know how my work is connected to the big picture. So I just punch the clock. And then oftentimes managers are struggling with getting individual contributors performing at a high level. And I want to pull on something that you said. The reason why you like talking to people at the line level and getting what they like, what they don't like is because it gives you line of sight into what can be changed. How are you marshalling your managers into those conversations so that they could be more intentional about connecting those dots that are often missed at the line level? It's really great to be able to know that the employees know I do have sight. I'm just not taking it from a manager's perspective. I'm actually having the conversation with them. But in addition to the one-on-ones, I do a stand-up every month which is a 15 minute stand up, we come together and I help to bring the connections of how the teams are working together, why we all work together, what's important about we working together, right? And I've been having the meetings, monthly meetings with my leaders and we all connect and talk about why their jobs connect. And now, and I think maybe a year ago, people was like, I don't see how my job connects to this, but we make it that it's intentional to explain the connections. I'm going to give you an example. My people safety team, they work with, they are just as important to any other organization. I tell them, if the building is not up and running every day, the systems are not on, the lights are not working, the heat or the air is not working, we're not functioning. 
So you are our first line of defense in the organization. So you are connected to getting us started every day. And that was a, a deep conversation. And then having them be involved in parts of like, you're part of our safety. So we need to make sure that everybody understands how to evacuate the building and not the HR team doing it. They are leading those conversations and they are exercising what it looks like. So that's how you get more people involved when it typically would think it's so. People would say, oh, people safety and operation, that's your facility team. No, they're about safety and they're about operating the building. And you got to show them how they connect to the mission of the organization and connecting to getting us all working. So that's just an example of how you take a typical job that you wouldn't be able to connect it and you have to make the connection to the organization. When you look at that specific example, how did you build the capacity for the leaders of those functions to take the ball and run? Because that's not an easy connection to make. So what did you do from a leading by example perspective that created the space for them to do that? We all came together and we started to plan out what it looks like for these three groups to work together and where are there some crossovers. But also we read Johnny Teller, the president and CEO of SHRM, wrote the book Reset. We read that while we were during the pandemic. And that was where I was like, we need to reset and we need to connect. So let's talk about that. And all of the leaders under my division had to come together and read that and at least take a chapter to talk about and go over. And that helped us all. Even if you weren't involved, like I said, my people safety director, he had a chance to be able to say, I get the connection. So you have to make sure that everybody understands it. So we had a reset and for people operations and we reset and we came out and we're stronger because we were able to step back and really talk about issues from that standpoint. I, I really like that reset concept because it's one of the things that I've often said to anybody that I bring onto the team is every few months, let's say every quarter or half a year, you should switch your mindset and pretend that your next day is your first day. What would you change? And I wanna see that list of things that you would change because if you're not regularly doing that, you get stuck in a rut. And what you're describing that you picked up from Reset uh, the book and what you actually put into place, it's, it struck me as a similar concept. I really like everything that you've talked about here and especially the point about leveraging skip level meetings to facilitate a reset, get more ownership at the manager level and at the individual contributor level. What did you learn in the effort of that transformation that you weren't expecting that other people that want to do the same thing should be watching out for? One, you have to make sure that you are building relationships, that people trust that what they tell you is going to be able to help you know what direction to go in, that you're going to trust what they're telling you, but also that you trust them enough to be able to say, let's talk heart to heart, what's going on? What do you need to share? And I think for me, most people, if I was to read a lot of my comments back, it would be, they trust me. They trust that I am really listening, that I'm really taking action and that I will try my best to make sure if there is an obstacle in their way, like how do I get them to network with other people? How do I make connections? How do I go? And I just had an interview today with one of my employees and I said, okay, last time we talked, you said this. What have you done towards that? And, and actually asked me for more work and more challenges. I said, okay, you got it. 
I, I need you to know. And he asked us to trust him more. I said, okay, then you have to trust that we are working on the right process to develop you as well. Oftentimes when we're having accountability conversations, people might get defensive about it because they take it down the road of, oh, this is going to become extremely micromanaging and things like that. How have you combined listening, action, trust into an accountability culture that's really effective in, in bringing about change? Like, how do you thread that needle where you're doing all of those things without turning it into just micromanagement central? For anyone who's coming up and, and trying to do that in your culture, you have to hold people accountable. So all of those things lead to accountability. You have to hold them accountable. You have to say, this is what I expect to see. This is how it will look when I see it. And, and if a person is open to hearing the feedback, that's a win. But if they're not open to hearing the feedback, you have to figure out how do you go back in and maybe start the steps all over again because something didn't happen, right? But if they trust that you're giving them good feedback and you're always honest with them, they're going to take the feedback. So for me, if I slack on holding you accountable, then I'm at fault just as much as you are at fault. But I also say I shouldn't have to follow up. You should already execute it. So if I come back a month later and didn't ask you about something, it should already be done and you can just send it on. Maybe I missed it in my mailbox. Maybe you forgot to send it. But if you never did it, that meant you weren't even taking the steps to even be accountable. That's good stuff. And that feeds into some of the ownership concepts that we're talking about as well, because if you haven't made progress towards whatever you agreed to, you should be asking questions about or at least saying, hey, these are the things that I've tried. None of it's yeah. worked. That should be a, a part of that equation. Nicola, I like the accountability piece that we've been talking about. One of the things that I'm worried about, and this is something that new managers struggle with, is having the right balance in accountability. Oftentimes what you'll see new managers do is that they'll be too soft in holding their people accountable. What are the things that you've seen and done that gives that right balance and helps new managers execute accountability effectively? Being too nice sometimes is a downfall in an organization because you're not you're always so nice. I don't want to hurt some of my feelings. I don't want to say this, but I'm always like, if we don't give the right feedback, that's not helping you nor the person because they're going to be surprised when somebody new come along and give them some feedback. And I'm like, I've been doing this all along. Somebody just didn't give you the feedback. You don't just start a habit. You already have that habit. So I believe in being honest and, and not in being fair. And that person will accept that feedback. If you're honest and you're fair and you're always making sure you're giving examples, I think people understand that. So I'd say hold them accountable, make sure you get the right feedback and, and you're going to be nice, but there's a level of niceness that goes along with it. I like the point that you made about being fair and, and the way that I interpret it is that if you're delivering feedback and you want to hold people accountable, you'll at least have to give some big signposts on how they actually start the execution process. If yes. you're just saying stuff without any sort of roadmap, you're you're not being nice, you're not being kind, you're yes. being derelict in your duties as far as what a leader is supposed to do. We talked about how skip levels can be a game changer in building the type of coaching and development culture that you want. We talked about accountability uh, and why that's important and, and some of the things that you need to be doing that helps you build uh, high-performing teams. When you think about all the things that we've talked about and there's somebody out there that wants to build this culture 
where skip levels are being leveraged to build that coaching and development culture. How would you advise them on what to focus on and how to get started? One, focus on what are you trying to accomplish, okay? So you want to know what is the end game that you're trying to look for. Are you looking to do coaching conversations just to learn what your managers are doing? Or are you looking to use those conversations to help develop your team to be that high-performing team? And also, you want to make sure you have goals that's set there and you are able to help your team understand what those goals are and how their job impact those goals. So you want to make sure you have that. For example, I have a five-year strategic plan just for our division that talks about what we're going to do, but also talks about the skills of our team and what skills we need to develop on our team. And then you want to make sure that you are always taking a chance to reset and understand if you're going in the right direction. The world of HR is ever-changing for lots of different reasons, but you need to make sure that you can pause, reset, and redirect the team if it needs to be. But if you don't have a pause, you won't know when to reset because you're just steady trying to get down the road. But sometimes you do have to take a pause, reset, and say, are we doing the right things? Are we making the right improvements we need to make? And how do we need to go back and, and redo it again and look and move forward? Awesome stuff, Nicola. I appreciate you sharing that with us. If people want to continue this conversation, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? They can find me on LinkedIn. I'm under Nicola Kennedy. You can find me there. And I would be glad to touch base with anyone who looks forward to having a conversation. I'd love to continue this conversation. I appreciate you hanging out with us. Uh, maybe next time when we have you on, you can have uh, your two dogs uh, on either side yeah. being co-guests. There's three sort of big themes that I want to pull out of the, the, the conversation that we had. One is the habit of building alliances. And I think one of the things that you mentioned early on in the conversation when you're working through this transformation was that you had to have the right leadership in place to start executing. But even then, across the entire conversation, you're talking about building alliances and building relationships. So the concept of building that relationship first stood out to me as something that people need to focus on when they're looking at executing any sort of change. The other part that stood out in the conversation was the theme of connecting. The big gap that we see in a lot of organizations is a disconnect between the strategic vision and the line level execution. So for leaders to build high performing teams, they should be focused on how can they connect those two sides of the organization. And that's where effective managers need to really occupy space. And then the last thing that you mentioned was this idea of reset. You should be building alliances, you should be connecting the dots, but you should also be taking the time to reset and reevaluate and redirect what's happening so that you're constantly moving forward instead of just repeatedly doing the same things over and over again. I appreciate you sharing the story and what you've done in your role. For those of you who have been listening to this conversation, leave us a review. Let us know what you thought of the conversation and then tune in next time where we'll have another leader joining us to tell us about the game-changing realizations that they had that helped them build high-performing teams. Thanks for listening to this episode of the HR Impact Show. We hope you liked the conversation. Don't forget to continue supporting us by joining the HR Impact community. You can find the community at www.engagerocket.co slash HR Impact. Tune in next time where we'll have another guest who's going to share with us the game-changing insights that help them build high-performing teams.